This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let me ask you something. How seriously do you take UFOs? They might be something you should take seriously, a scientific phenomenon. That's what UFOologist Chris Rutkowski wants you to know in a recent article that he penned for McLean's magazine. Don Dickinson has more to share on this story. Don is the content curator for McLean's magazine on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey there, Dave. How are you? I am well. So Chris Rutkowski is not a stranger to the show. He's popped on a couple times to talk about UFOs. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to him last year about some of his work. But how d- I did not ask him this question, Don. How did Chris Rutkowski become known as the UFO guy? <laughs> well, when you read his bio, it's unbelievable. I'm going to start with a quote. He said, most kids go through a space phase, but mo- space phase, but mine kept going after I watched NASA launch its Gemini and Mercury spacecraft on TV, and it kept going after I joined my high school UFO club in Winnipeg. Uh, When I enrolled at University of Manitoba, I opted for a science degree. I wanted to be uh, an astronomer, and I would have been happy to spend all my days looking up. So you you have a feeling that this, this man was born to it. Yeah, deep passion for space, deep passion for the universe, and looking beyond our little teensy tiny rock in our little teensy tiny solar system, in our little teensy tiny galaxy, uh, in a much more uh, broad universe, or maybe even a multiverse, if uh, we really want to get wild. So, Don, what's the case that Ruskowski is making on why Canadians should be tracking occurrences of UFOs? Well, apart from the obvious, there's an actual practical reason. He says that our airspace is becoming really commercialized uh, with package deliveries. And, you know, he's worried about the times when there's going to be all these drones from Amazon Prime. Uh, he's, He's talking about Elon Musk's Internet providing Starlink satellites in the sky. And he's just saying that there's going to be very, very valid reasons to track UFOs because, Uh, A major one of them, of course, being safety. Airline pilots, for example, regularly report UFO sightings, which often turn out to be civilian drones. And as this becomes more the case, it's going to be much more uh, crowded in our skies, Mm. Dave. How does the Canadian government handle these kinds of sightings? (laughs) Well, uh, the whole purpose of the article is to kind of emphasize that we don't really do it... um, well, <laughs> and he says right now there's a patchwork network of uh, agencies um, that accept reports, uh, but they don't particularly communicate well with each other. Um, Canada should, his uh, opinion, uh, establish a central repository where new UFO reports can be collected and analyzed. Each year that office should produce a public report, which in the, uh, which Basically, it's the same way the Supreme Court of Canada releases its annual year in review. So he's saying that, yeah, okay, fine, they, we are tracking, but there's like three or four agencies that, that, that get these reports, and they're not doing a great job of, of compiling it into one resource. 
Don, I am all the way in on a belief that intelligent life exists elsewhere in our gargantuan universe <laughs> as to whether or not we will ever make contact with said intelligent life uh, is pretty much impossible because it's millions and millions and millions of light years away. But UFOs more specifically imply some kind of contact. Where are you at on UFOs, whether it be before or after reading this article? Well, Dave, it's difficult to find intelligent life on this planet sometimes. So, <laughs> I, uh... It's oftentimes difficult to find intelligent <laughs> life in Studio 7 at 1090 Don Mills Road. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's the question of our age, really. I mean, you know, they often say that this world would, would benefit from a common... Um, not necessarily a common enemy, but just a, a commonality so that, you know, if it, we if we knew somebody else was out there, we might think of ourselves more as the uh, earth as opposed to all our different uh, grievances that we have at the moment, you know. Um, I would like to think that there is. I've never personally had an experience with it, you know. Um, I mean, you know, you often see things that you think, oh, that's a little weird, but then it turns out to be satellites or something like that or yeah. or just, you know. So up until now, I haven't had any proof, and I'm kind of a proof kind of gal, you know? Yeah, yeah, I like that. You got you to gotta, you gotta show, show it to me. You're like Missouri. You're the show-me state. You got to let me know that it's out there for me to truly, truly believe. Don, I love this kind of stuff. Thank you for bringing this. We should uh, talk to Chris again on the show. I, I love talking to Chris about uh, yeah. what's out there in the sky. But let's move on to the world of art. Your next featured article is called... A Taste of Europe by Jean Grant. It dives into the home of Toronto artist Eve Gordon. She hand-painted the walls of her Victorian home in the big smoke to replicate patterns and scenery inspired by Italian Renaissance artist Paolo Veronese. So how did Eve Gordon's journey as an artist begin? Uh, well, it was fairly... Um... Regular, I would say, during university, she began painting, uh, and, and then in 1976, she moved to Paris and displayed her whimsical oil paintings in several shows uh, and did quite well. Uh, but then, you know, life took over, and she met her husband, and, you know, kids came along and all the rest of it, and it kind of got put on the back burner. In 1984, uh, she and her husband uh, found a red brick at Victorian in Rosedale, and she did a little bit of decorating at the time, but nothing too much until a certain event occurred right so that's uh 2020 the pandemic kicks in how did that uh, impact her process and this project yeah well uh, as with the cases of the whole world it very much affected her when covid kicked off she decided to finish the job uh, of decorating her home and she ordered scaffolding and and paint and she began um painting the entire house and I'm talking about painting that is just absolutely amazing almost like the old uh, frescoes you know beautiful beautiful work she said I wanted to transform my home into something magical like the villas and chateaus I saw in Europe so yeah really big scale work Don, you, there's a couple pictures popping up on screen right here. They are so detailed, it's almost impossible to describe, but I will do my best here. Multi-colors, like multi, multi, multi-colors and shading. So there's a real spectrum of color being used. Wall to ceiling 
to floor ornate designs little specifications here and there the rooms themselves also have a little bit of interior design beyond the paint on the walls so chandeliers mirrors etc antique chairs english day beds for the bedrooms dawn it looks like a late medieval or renaissance palace Oh, yeah, it definitely is, Dave. I mean, it's, it's a work of art. We're not talking about your your average painting here. Every single wall, as you say, every single piece of uh, the place, uh, even the window frames are all beautifully hand-painted. And I mean, in just the most intricate of of, of paintings, you know, it's uh, it's really a, a stunning work. And, and, of course, she likes to show it off. Yeah, wh wh how uh, how do her guests feel when they come for a dinner party at, at Eve's house? Well, I'm hoping for an invitation, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says that she's eager to show it off now that she's spent all this time. I mean, basically, it's, it's four years of work, right? Um, she takes days to cook elaborate meals from her uh, various European cookbooks and, uh, and uh, French recipes and whatnot. She says it's really fun to watch people react to the house because usually they're speechless in the beginning, especially if they haven't any forewarning. They just walk in and they think, oh, my God. I mean, it's like walking walking into basically, you know, a, a European chateau and, and just being overwhelmed with the intricacies of the work. Don, if you ever need a career change, lifestyles of the rich and famous, I think I think that could be that could be the next path for you because that's what that's what this reminds me of on this one over here. Hey, Don, I don't know if you heard in the first segment of the show we're talking about a smart home technology today, and that's because later in the show, Marco Flalo is going to stop by and talk about some new tools that IKEA is launching in the smart home space, and so far. All three of the folks spoken to on the show, myself, Alex Smythe, Laura Bain, none of us are using any smart home technology. It's the Daily Poll, on at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What is stopping you from investing in smart home technology? Price, reliability, security? Or, Don, are you the outlier? Are you loaded up with some smart home tech? I'm the outlier, Dave. Yeah. What can I say? Well, you know what it is? It was an instant, instant, instant incident, sorry, that we had about, uh, I guess it was about four years ago now, we were robbed, right? Oh, my gosh. And uh, yeah. And, you know, you only have to have that happen once once and uh, you uh, majorly invest in security. So uh, yeah, we went out and bought a high security system. It's basically wired to everything. It's wired to the doors. It's, it's, uh, it's one of these ones that has little, you know, pads that you place on anything that can be opened. So it's wired to the windows, the doors. Oh, wow. Uh, basically, if the cat moves, I know about it. So um, yeah. Yeah, we, we get an alert if anything happens on our phones and, and uh, you know, that way we can. And, of course, we both work nearby, so it, it's um, it's something that really we felt at the time. You know, you, felt, you feel very insecure when something like that happens, right? So, Don, I am grateful for you to be the outlier. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that life event happened, but thank you for sharing your perspective. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people are making the use case here because we know there is a use case. The three of us in the first segment, the three millennials in the first segment just couldn't make the use case. So count on the boomers to step in and help out. <laughs> Don, thank you for this.
Okay, then, Dave. Have a good day. That is Don Dickinson with a preview of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. Don is the content curator of that show. You can find it weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, Lay Down Your Heart is a film that follows the story of an artist with Down syndrome. Alex Smythe will tell you about it and share his interview with the filmmakers. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.